0: Thank you so much, Father, that death is crushed to death and life is ours to live through Christ. Lord, so many of us have done a good job of mucking up life. Thank you for the freshness of your grace. Thank you for the reality of newness of life in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we are members of your church through your shed blood and that we stand forgiven in your presence. And Father, we want to be a church that brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be growing and, and developing and moving forward by your grace, having an impact in the days that remain. And so, Father, we know that our strength comes from your word. And as we receive instruction and challenge this morning, uh, may your Holy Spirit work in us, and work through us, and work among us corporately as well. That we would be conforming to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray now, applying ourselves to the study and the hearing and the doing of your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, yesterday afternoon, um, as it became evident that one to three inches just wasn't what it was going to be, I began to realize that our Sunday morning would be impacted as the snow came and the temperature was continuing to drop, and, and so I was unsure of what to do, and I became hesitant about my message that I was working on and uh, preparing and had planned to bring this morning on the sanctity of human life. And the message that I was going to bring, I like to annually all 14 years, probably be my 14th year of doing it, is the, the last Sunday of January, I try to bring a message on the sanctity of human life in, in light of the, uh, I think it's January 24th about in there, is the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision in America and the significance and impact of that upon us. And I just think it's important for us in our pulpits, in our Bible churches across the country to make sure that we sound out the truth on these important issues. I had on my heart a demographic in mind. I rarely do that when I preach. And I had in mind for this year's Sanctity of Human Life message to specifically address uh, those who were about 25 years of age and under and unmarried. And I got to thinking, we may just have a handful of people this morning. And um, I thought that I would postpone that message for another time in light of who I thought would show. And it's nice to see a good group this morning. Um, It's always a little bit uncertain what to do with the weather, but I knew with the sun coming up uh, that we would be up and and that whoever could make it could make it. I guess we really can't document who tried to make it and who's not here. But um, here we are, and it's not so bad out, I don't think, this morning. In light of that, I was thinking of how we don't have a Sunday evening service at our church. I have always been in churches um, through the years, where you had Sunday morning, Sunday night church, and Wednesday night church, and it never changed. That's the way it was. When we came to fellowship, we didn't have a Sunday evening service, largely due to our commuting population. And um, so. And we've never uh, started an evening service. There's never seemed to be um, a groundswell or interest in that, and I've learned to be pretty content with a quiet Sunday evening. But one of the downsides of that is, is that On Sunday evening, it's a little more laid back. You sort of have your core group people in, um, not as many visitors. And as a pastor, it provides an opportunity to deal with some issues that you can address that you're thinking about or that are on your heart or that you feel at that point in time need touched upon as you know your flock. And as you well know, we're locked into Genesis, and I'm pretty committed to getting through Genesis. I think that last Sunday was our 50th message in the book of Genesis, and we have about 50 more probably. Um, But um, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. And I believe that's where God wants us to be. And so we'll continue. Just some incredible um, content that's there for us to to, to unfold. And so I'm kind of looking at this morning as somewhat of a Sunday evening message. And there has been some things on my heart, and um, I don't always have a chance to deal with those things. I just don't have a good opportunity. Some of those things I would deal with sometimes on Wednesday night when we had our more traditional prayer meeting time when I was speaking. But now I'm directing the choir, and so I don't have that opportunity either. And so let's just kind of pretend it's Sunday evening, and uh, we're not in a series, and it's kind of a one-time shot. I invite you to turn to the book of Acts in your New Testament. And to chapter 11. As you turn to the book of Acts, let me lay a, a, a foundation of my thinking by way of an illustration, and I think you'll be able to relate to it. I have personally a problem with a great ability to convince myself that I am in a lot better shape than I am. Do you know that feeling? about um, oh some months ago, my my friend Lonnie, I've referenced Lonnie, getting after me to start working out. And I have always tried to do a few things of routine exercise. And then I cut wood and I try to work hard on my day off. and, And I always think, yeah, I'm in pretty good shape. Well, when you go to the gym for the first day, do you know that feeling? Do you know what it's like you come walking in and you're feeling pretty good about yourself because you're going to start out at the gym and then you get going into your first round of the routine and you think to yourself this thought, man, I am really, really puny. I am really out of shape. But do you know the feeling though of setting some goals and, 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 knowing what you want to look like, knowing what your target weight is, knowing what some of the goals are that you want to accomplish. And then after a few weeks, do you know what it is to, I call it getting over the hump. And then you think, man, I have to work out. I can't not work out. It doesn't feel right if I don't work out. And then if you don't, like me, starting with Thanksgiving, in a few months you can get right back to standing in front of the mirror with your belly hanging out, saying to yourself, I'm really good shape for a guy who doesn't work out. My point is this. When you don't hold yourself up to a standard, or you're not around people who are in better shape than you, it's easy to convince yourself that you're something that you're not. Do you know that feeling? And I think in the spiritual realm, at a corporate level, it is possible for churches to fall into seasons of flabbiness whereby we think we are more fit as a church than maybe we really are. We're doing a lot of good things. We are, uh, you know, following through with our calendar. There's good things happening at a lot of different levels. But every once in a while, if you don't stop and evaluate and maybe put yourself up against a standard, you can kind of slip gain a little weight, get out of shape a little bit, huff and puff and still convince yourself, oh, we're a pretty good church. That's kind of the mentality that I have this morning going into this message, and I've entitled this message, The Marks of a Healthy Church. The Marks of a Healthy Church. Obviously, then, the question that we want to ask ourselves is, are we a healthy church? Why and why not? And what does a healthy church look like We're in Acts chapter 11, and the church that we're going to use as a model to kind of compare ourselves with a little bit or bump into this church, kind of like bumping into somebody at the gym who's about your size and age and demographic, but they're in a lot better shape than you, and it makes you realize, I could look like this guy. When we're in the book of Acts, one thing that I want to say as a word of somewhat as a word of caution for our study this morning is that the book of Acts is a historical account of the early church. The word Acts is A-C-T-S. It's not A-X-E. It's not a book of Acts, uh, something you cut trees down with. It is Acts, and that's short for the Acts of the Apostles. It is a record of what the apostles did following, and if you go back to the early chapters, you have chapter 1, you have the ascension of Christ. Chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling believers at Pentecost. And you have the blast-off of the church era. You now have the missionary work of the apostles. You have Pastor... Missionary Peter, the first nine chapters or ten chapters. Then you've got switching over to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Peter focusing on a ministry to the Jews. And then where we are today in the book of Acts is kind of a bridge point where the ministry of the gospel is now breaking loose into the non-Jewish churches, communities, and cities. And the Jews in Jerusalem are figuring out that, hey, even Gentiles can be covered by the blood of Christ. Jesus came even to die for Gentiles. All men everywhere can be saved. And so churches began to be planted on the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas and so forth, and Silas and Peter. Churches began to spring up in the cities and the communities and in the country all around this part of Asia. And we have in our hands, in our Bibles, in the book of Acts, a record record an accounting of these acts of the apostles of this church. What we're going to bump into today is the church at Antioch. What a great group of people they are, and you're going to find something interesting about them that we have in common with them. Hopefully more than one thing, but there is an interesting point this morning that will be made. But my warning is, as we encounter and interface with the book of Acts, and we're reading an, a historical account, it is a record of what has happened. We need to remind ourselves that, that this is a description. is the way Bible teachers will say it. It is a description of what happened. It is not always a prescription for what should happen. You follow me? And sometimes, because it happened in the early church, we say to ourselves, well, we ought to do that. But that argument can fall apart, especially if you encounter a church like the Corinthian church that has all kinds of things. You don't want to be like the Corinthian church. They're just a mess. And the the letters to, to the Corinthian believers were written by the Apostle Paul to straighten them out because they were just in a horrible shambles. And so I recognize this morning as we look at the church at Antioch and look at some of the dynamics of a healthy church, that this is a description of a new church, it's a brand new church. But the reason that I hold it up to our church for comparison, for us to stop looking at in the mirror at ourselves and saying, yeah, we're pretty good. And to look at this church and say, okay, as Fellowship Bible Church compares itself to the church in Antioch, how do we hold up? And do we have the, some of the ingredients and dynamics characteristics of a healthy church. And if not, we ought to address that. The reason I hold up the church in Antioch is because of the kind of leadership that was there and the kind of teaching that was going on. And because of some of the, um, in essence, direct revelation that was going on right there. They were establishing this church. It was being established by Peter and by Saul, who we call Paul, and by Barnabas. These These are the top men of the church. These are the leaders. And and so what they did, I think it is safe to say, is what we should at least emulate and look like and be like. Let's read our text now, beginning in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. And we're going to jump then and include chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 11, Acts, beginning with verse 19, the church at, in Antioch. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, then sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul." Chapter 12, it's in its entirety, is sort of a parenthesis on something else that was going on in Peter's life. And we come back to the church at Antioch in the first few verses of chapter 13. Let's include that in our reading now as well. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, perhaps that means he was a stepbrother, And Saul, who we will know as Paul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let's include the next couple verses. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed there from Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And John was with them as their helper. That's enough. It's kind of an interesting account of what takes place next. But this much serves our purposes for our message this morning. Six marks of a healthy church. As we look at Antioch, we recognize that this is an exciting time in the history of the church. Did you catch the reference to the church at Jerusalem at this point? The church at Jerusalem is, in essence, the mother church. It's where it is large. It is where early in the book of Acts, when you hear the accounts of thousands of people being saved, that's all happening at the church in Jerusalem. What happened then in chapter 8? Do you remember the story of this guy Saul who is in our story and his name is changed to Paul before he is known in the church and before it becomes evident that he's the new leader of the church and then ends up writing um, half of our New Testament? He was a persecutor of the church. He was was, um, a Pharisee He kept the Old Testament law, he believed in God, but he did not believe that Jesus, who came and was born of Mary, grew up, ministered around Nazareth and Galilee, had 12 disciples, performed his miracles, raised Lazarus from the dead, calmed the sea, he did not believe in that guy. He thought that was mythology, he thought it was bogus, and he did everything he can, he could to squelch the message of Christ and his followers. As a result, Stephen back in chapter 8 became the first martyr of the new church. And you know that awesome story where Saul held their coats, gave direction, and he was going through the synagogues and getting the leadership to tell him, which one of your people are followers of Christ? And they would go and ransack their homes and he would put them in jail and they would abuse them and beat them down and even murder them. And Stephen was a godly, godly leader, a deacon in the church there and a leader in the church. And there he was in that great moment when the skies opened and God let him see right into the presence of the Lord. And then Stephen, in all grace, acknowledging that they don't even know what they're doing. And the Lord received him home. And then it says, godly men grieved for Stephen. What a time. And so as we char- start in chapter 11, verse 19, learning about the church at Antioch, we recognize that it starts with that connection in that it was this, this persecution that had swept through had scattered the church at Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting how persecution always grows the church? Why? Because together we're comfortable. We have potluck dinners and we have wild feasts, even though they get canceled because of snow. And we have all kinds of things, right? And And we feed ourselves and we fellowship and we mow each other's lawns and we help each other out and we marry and bury and everything's going great. But we become what focused? We become internal. We become self-focused. We build buildings. We borrow money. We get into debt. We take care of ourselves. We've got to have more classroom space so that we can all meet on one night, not two nights. People won't come on two nights. They'll only come on one night. You see? And we forget that there is a great world out there. And then all of a sudden, every once in a while, and I don't want it to happen, but when it happens, God always uses it mightily. God allows wicked people to stir up the church like a stick in a hornet's nest and out they go. Or more or less, a better analogy would be maybe when I was a kid, I used to disturb ant, ant hills in Illinois where I grew up and take a stick and stir up the anthill. It's kind of mean, wasn't it? And the ants would go all over the place. That's what happens to the church when mean people come in and stir it up and kill the leadership and tear down and burn houses and bulldoze in buildings. What do we do? We head all over the place. We head to all the surrounding counties. We've lost our jobs. We're not allowed to get work. And everywhere we go, look what it says It happens. They begin to talk about Jesus. But you'll notice in verse 19, they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message, but only to Jews. They were the Jewish church in Jerusalem, and they just didn't get it yet in the early church. They weren't sure yet how far this gospel went. But then some guys who were, uh, they were Jewish men, but they could speak Greek, they went and they began to tell the people at Antioch about the Lord Jesus and look what happens. And the Lord, Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And verse 21, the last half of that verse is the launch of the church at Antioch. They now have a church. There's a group of believers that come together. Well, news of this reaches those, it's about three years since probably Paul persecuted and murdered Stephen But news reaches Jerusalem and they send a select choice guy, Barnabas, what a great guy was. He was an encourager. He was a man of God. He was the one who was able to put his arm around Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the church that everybody knew about. Everybody knew he was an ogre, a monster. And it was when Barnabas was one of them who went alongside and put his arm around Saul and said, this guy is now saved. He's one of us. And the people believed it because if Barnabas said it, it's true. Barnabas was the kind of guy that if... If his friends come around, they're welcome because any friend of Barnabas is a friend of ours. You know those kind of people? This guy's solid. This guy's an encourager. This guy is absolutely trustworthy. This guy is godly to the core. The church at Jerusalem and the leadership council there sends Barnabas down to Antioch and says, let's take care of these people. The first dynamic of a healthy church that I want to point out on our list of six is that it is a growing church. I want you to notice that in Antioch, when the church got established, that it began to grow. It says in verse 21, a great number of people believed, but then look down at verses 24 through 26. Barnabas goes down there. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And then it says, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I take that to be through his ministry. Then Barnabas has so many people to minister to, to disciple and to teach. He needs assistance. And there's no mature believers in Antioch, so he has to go find a mature believer to come help him. And so he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul, by this time now, Saul already was an expert in the Old Testament. And after his conversion, even supernaturally, Saul very quickly began to understand Christ and his ministry and could argue in the synagogue for Christ almost immediately after his conversion. And Saul could open the scriptures and teach you what Jesus... He could show you Jesus all through the Old Testament. He could show you the Messiah and why he came and what it was all about and what the church was. And so Barnabas... This is the kind of guy he was. I need a good teacher. That would be Saul. I need somebody to grow in their stature as a leader. I think Saul should do that. Barnabas nurtures, raises up Saul, brings him along. And so the first thing you have here is you have a church that is growing. And I want you to notice that a healthy church, Antioch, is indeed a healthy church. It's an exciting time to be there. They are growing, number one, in numbers, but they are also growing in knowledge. They're growing in numbers and they're growing in knowledge. Listen, there are all kinds of reasons that churches grow and don't grow. But one of the things that we have to be careful of is that it is the Word of God that is growing our church. That's what's happening in Antioch, isn't it? And it is the gospel that is going out. It concerns me that we don't see more people being saved at Fellowship Bible Church. We have some people getting saved. But most of our growth is people just looking for a Bible church because their churches aren't preaching the Bible anymore. Now, that's a good reason to leave a church, I would say, is if the Bible's not being preached. But we have to be careful not to kid ourselves that we're something special because we have a little bit of growth going on, but maybe it's not the Word of God that's creating that impact as far as reaching the unreached. I think there's a great place for a church to edify believers and all believers are welcome and that's what we want to do. We want to be a strong Bible church and anybody who's come in from a church for all kinds of reasons that people leave churches. I'm not, I am not maligning that in any way. We, we are so thankful for the people God has brought our way and the impact that they're having. My point is, is as we look in the mirror, we have to be careful not to kid ourselves that we're growing in a way that we're really not growing. And the church at Antioch was growing because people were hearing the word of God and were being saved. We need to make sure that we keep growing. Healthy churches grow through outreach, through the individual people sharing the gospel, reaching your neighbors, and that is going on. It's going on in age, young ages and older ages. And I only want to encourage us to keep that going. We grow in numbers, but we grow in knowledge. And that's for all of us. These people, notice the emphasis. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus, verse 25, to look for Saul. He found him, brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of the people. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for that year? And this is why I'm holding Antioch up this morning. Barnabas and Saul are focused on this group for a whole year, so whatever they tell them to do, that's what we're going to do. Whatever's going on there, that's got to be good stuff. And for a whole year, what did they focus on? The Word of God. Now, keep in mind that they were focusing on this much of it. Okay, the other part's not written yet. All right, and um, so we need to realize that they were students of the Bible, the Old Testament, and they were growing in grace and they were growing in knowledge. Listen, are you growing in knowledge? Are you learning? Do you know your Bible? We're without excuse, aren't we? And, and we need to be self-motivated. I'm so concerned that we be a growing congregation, growing because the gospel is going out and growing because the word of God is being taught. Listen, if you stop growing, you start dying, just like an old tree, right? When a tree stops growing, it starts to die and churches are just like trees. The day you stop growing is the day you start to die doesn't mean all the leaves turn brown at once. So the first mark of a healthy church is that it is a growing church. Secondly, I want you to see what happens. As they were teaching for that year, by the way, let me point out what I had referenced earlier. The disciples, the end of verse 26, were called Christians first at Antioch. That's where they begin to call themselves Christians. 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 Ians means you're of the party of. Republicans. You're of the party of the Republic. I mean, for some of you that might be a bad illustration, but it's just what came to my mind. It's not in my notes, all right? Christians. Christians of the party of Christ. Boy, that should overshadow any other party we're a part of, shouldn't it? That's a neat word, isn't it? to be a little Christ of the party of Christ. We're called Christians, aren't we? Of the party of Christ. Listen, that's who we are. That's what people ought to see, isn't it? And at Antioch, as they began to grow, they became like Christ. They were maturing in their knowledge and they became Christ-like of the party of Christ. During this time, verse 27, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, Agabus, Agabus, stands up And through the Holy Spirit, you have to realize that the prophetic gift, the apostolic sign gift of prophecy was still working at this time in the early church. We don't have the written word of God in their hands. You now have people who have an ability to get up and give a revelation from God. All right. we don 't hold to that at fellowship Bible Church. We would maintain that those were temporary sign gifts, gifts that the, that were used to strengthen the early shir- church with a specific reason for a specific time. but now we have the counsel of God who can stand up and give a word that we don 't already have now in a sense, there is a prophetic gift, and it would be a kind of person generally who can open the scriptures and, and is a strong, usually a strong preacher who who Opens up the Word of God in, in a way that the prophets of old, in a sense, did. Or these, pro- I'm speaking the Word of God. In a sense, it's a prophetic gift or a preacher. You could build a case for that. But I don't hold to the view that, that anybody could stand up and add to the Word of God today. Or have a prophetic gift in that sense. All right. Now, God stirs our hearts. God opens our eyes to reality. But I don't think anybody has the spiritual gift to just be able to get up and say wait a minute, somebody's got a, one leg shorter than the other out in the audience here. I think it's over here. I think that's utter nonsense. And, and, and I don't think it's genuine and I don't think it's a replica of what was happening here, but there was a, a prophetic gift in this man Agabus and he could stand up and through the moving of the Holy Spirit, he said and was warned, warning the church that there was a famine coming in Judea. The next thing we see is that the, the leadership in Antioch does what? Verse 29, The disciples, according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. They picked their two best men, sent them back to Jerusalem to, to meet with the elders there, to take the offerings, to distribute it so that they could maintain a, a living and so that the people wouldn't starve to death. The second part, second mark of a healthy church is that it's a giving church. It has a, a heart to meet needs. When we hear of needs, we meet those needs. And I want to commend Fellowship Bible Church for this. We have opportunity, even today as we exit, to put money in an offering basket for a Honduran team. We have a note in our bulletin to give money to, a, to the IFCA International who has people on the ground and organizations on the ground that they support in Haiti. I read a headline the other day that said in some of the relief organizations only one penny on the dollar is making it into Haiti. Don't give to those organizations that are secular. Give to mission organizations where their people are on the ground making a difference. It's unbelievable. And there are some great things happening. My nephew Chris Merrill, by the way, is the missions pastor at a large church in Austin, Texas. I just saw a video clip of him on the internet on their local news in Austin, Texas, he's part of a big church of about 6,000. And Chris was in charge of putting together a medical team of doctors out of their churches there in Austin and loading private corporate jets. He was sitting on one of these corporate jets and he called his dad, my brother-in-law, the other day. And, and uh, he had to take the church. He said, Dad, I did something I never did before. He took the church credit card and had to go to a local gun shop and buy some Glocks and some shotguns for these doctors to take so they could protect their supplies when they got into Haiti. And they were sending this team of doctors to Haiti. That's like the church at Antioch. The Harvest Church there in Austin, Texas. They heard of a need, they sent a team. They're doing it. The church at Fellowship at, at Charlestown, Fellowship Church. There's a need at Orphanage Emmanuel. We want to meet that need. We want to give generously. We send people over there to serve. A giving church. Stephen and Kirsten McKenzie had a need. They had to be evacuated out of North Africa. And so we took an offering in one Sunday, $6,000. Stephen and Kirsten come home. They have nothing. They're going to live with us for a year. We're having a card shower for them. And you saw the notes and, in, in the bulletin. A gift card, uh, we're going to put a tree up here and hang gift cards on clippies all over it. I hope there'll be thousands of dollars worth of gift cards. It's easy for us, isn't it, to add a $20 gift card to our budget for the week. Just skip Applebee's or something this afternoon. But we can meet needs when we hear them, see? It's a giving church. The Apostle Paul, we don't have to turn it, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4, through 4, talks about the privilege of giving. The privilege of giving, in Second Corinthians chapter nine, six through 11, he gives the principle for giving, and that is that you can't outgive the Lord, that as you give, the Lord will give to you so that you can keep giving. Let's be a generous church. you are a generous church. Let's only multiply our ability to give and be generous. When we all pitch in, it works. The church at Antioch was a giving church. Let's click over to chapter 13, verse 1, where we pick up. Now Paul and Barnabas are back from Jerusalem. And in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. By the way, Antioch was a big city. It was a very diverse city. And this is a diverse group of people different skin colors, different nationalities, and they were there in the church serving together, a great group of people, and they were gifted prophets, gifted teachers. And I think the idea there is that it is a serving church. A healthy church is a growing church. A healthy church is a giving church. A healthy church is a serving church where there are ministers throughout the body. What, what do you do? What is it that God puts in your heart to do? Do it. Do it. Work with your hands. Work as a teacher. Give generously. Romans chapter 12, if you're taking notes, you could mark down there. He clicks off a number of gifts. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, but we'll not take time to look there. Notice what happens then. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Another mark of a healthy church is that it's a worshiping church. Isn't it interesting that it was while they were worshiping together that God stirred their hearts, that God began to move? Do you know what that feels like? It it has been my observation and my own personal experience that most of the major spiritual decisions in my life have happened in worship services. And I'm including the whole thing where the body is gathered and we're assembled together. We are singing, we're praying, we're focused, we're on the Word of God. And that's when God has gripped my heart the most. How about you? Oh, I have good meditations out on my lawnmower or out when I'm running or when I'm splitting wood. I have good times with the Lord, don't get me wrong. With a cup of coffee in my Bible on my lap, those are good times with the Lord. But you know, the meaningful decisions of my life all happened springing out of the corporate gathering of the body. It was when I was 12 years old at a gathered missions conference. And we had eaten and we had sang, sung, sang, sang. We had s- sung together. That's it. And then we had heard the preaching of the word. And at 12 years old, I got out and walked down the aisle and committed my life to full-time Christian service. That's when God moves. That's when the Holy Spirit overwhelms. That's when the Holy Spirit convicts. That's when the sin in your life really becomes real. When I'm by myself, even with the Word and a cup of coffee, I can become convicted, but it's in the worship services where my sin, even singing the power of the cross this morning, just the reality of what Christ has done for us, How I can't fool around with this gospel. I can't fool around with His grace. That all was working in my mind as I sang just this morning. Wouldn't have happened if I hadn't come and gathered this morning. Listen to me. This is a spiritual reality. If you are not gathering regularly, you are not growing spiritually. You just mark that down. If you are not gathering regularly, you are not growing spiritually. You're kidding yourself. You're at home looking in the mirror, flexing your biceps with your flab hanging over your belt, convincing yourself that you demand and that you're tough and you're not. Because it's when we're gathered corporately that the reality of our spiritual condition is most crystallized in our eyes and in our thinking. It's when the Spirit of God moves. doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot. They were a worshiping church, and spiritual work was going on. Notice that they were a praying church. They were fasting. Fasting and prayer go together. That's an intensified time of focused prayer, where I either lose my appetite, I am so concerned about the spiritual realities of what's going on, that I don't even have an appetite. That doesn't happen to Americans very often, does it? Or I have chosen to deny myself food to keep something at the forefront of my thinking. It is a praying church. They were fasting. And when the Holy Spirit made it evident to them that Saul and Barnabas were to go out, they then laid hands on and they prayed. They prayed kind of like we did this morning. I didn't lay hands, but we prayed together. We joined our hearts, our minds. We prayed for that team. Then notice... The final mark of a healthy church is that it is a ascending church. So after they had prayed, verse 3, they fasted and prayed. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off to do what? To preach the gospel to lost people. A healthy church is a growing church, growing in number, growing in grace and in the knowledge of the word. A healthy church is a giving church. There's a lot of generous people in a healthy church. I didn't say rich people. I said generous people. A healthy church is a serving church where our gifts are engaged. People are doing what they do best. A healthy church is a worshiping church where people come out and they gather and when they're not here, they miss it. And the Spirit of God moves among us. A healthy church is a praying church. You notice that this is not a description of a prayer meeting in this passage at Antioch. It's just that they spontaneously prayed. Whenever they got together, they prayed. And they were people of prayer. And then finally, they were ascending church. You know that you can't be ascending church if you don't send? And so you can measure this one pretty easily. It's kind of hard to measure how much the church is praying. You can say whether you got people at a prayer meeting, whether you upset the schedule and you don't have a real prayer meeting now, you have a small prayer meeting and you got this prayer. How much praying is going on where and when? Are the men praying on Saturday morning? The ladies praying on Tuesday morning? The women praying on Wednesday night? Men praying Wednesday night? You know, what, how much prayer is going on? It's hard to measure who's praying when, who's praying right now. It's pretty easy to measure when we just look at our flags. Did we send any of these? Do these countries have people on the ground from Fellowship Bible Church? It's one reason I'm really excited about the Honduras team. Three teenagers in that group, four old people. Do you know that old people can go just like young people, right? And in light of eternity what difference does it make if you quit before your retirement's maxed out? When the Holy Spirit moves, the church marks them and sends them out. And you're in the will of God. What difference does it make if you walked away from a pension? That's an American way of thinking, not a biblical way of thinking. How come nobody's moving out? When's the last time we laid hands on a young couple to send them off? We sent Matt and Amy to Bible college. He graduates this spring already, four-year degree, moving on to seminary. He's excelled with a 4.0. He's great. God's going to use him. You did a great job with Tom and Heidi Jesserin, but they didn't really come from us. They came through here. Stephen and Kirsten don't come from us in essence, but they're coming through here I don't think any of them are here this morning, so can I say to you, I already encourage you to be generous with the gift card, but they're basically going to use us as their sending church. Their sending church was in Frederick, and it folded. You know why you need a sending church? You need a sending church because you need a prayer base. That's what these guys had, right? They had a prayer base. You need accountability. Who are these guys accountable to? When they're out there, they're not out on vacation. The church at Antioch wants to know, what's the gospel doing out there? A prayer base for accountability, for financial resource. What happens when they don't have anything to pay for their meals or clothing or they get stuck or stranded? Get a hold of the church at Antioch. They'll send money, won't they? And when they go home, it's a place, the sending church is a place of renewal and refreshment. I know you will, but I just want to encourage you to make sure that we take advantage of the McKenzie family being with us, that we refresh them while they're here, as in essence they're sending church. Do you think it would be appropriate for us to begin to pray as we evaluate the health of our church that God would send people out of here for the gospel? It's kind of a scary way to pray because... If you're not willing to be an answer to prayer, then you're praying for God to work in other people in a special way. You got to watch being duplicitous. I have to say to myself, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go. Maybe in a few years, Matt White will come be the pastor here and I'll go. I get antsy to go sometimes. How is God going to work? But I'm not sure we can say we're a healthy church because we haven't sent anyone. Let's keep supporting, but let's start sending. Let's pray to that end, right? Is Fellowship Bible Church a healthy church? Are we growing? Are we giving? Are we serving? Are we worshiping? Are we praying? Are we sending in any way like the church at Antioch? May the Lord use this to just challenge our minds this Sunday evening, as we've met together around the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we've referenced, it is relatively easy and we are quite skilled at convincing ourselves that we are something we are not. And I know that I've become skilled at convincing myself that I've lived something when only I've ever done is preached it. And so, Lord, would you help us to grow as a congregation? Grow in the sense of of a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit, to grow in your word, and and to just let you do a work in us in a way that maybe we really haven't seen yet at fellowship. You've been good to us, and we want to live for you and serve you, and we do want to worship in all sincerity and in truth. Father, as we bounce against the church at Antioch, we recognize that there were some things going on there that aren't going on here. So encourage us and renew us and challenge us. Before I conclude my prayer, maybe the Spirit of God has put His finger on something in your life. Maybe you're not growing in the Word these days. Maybe you're a grumbler about coming to church or whatever. You pray that we'll plan services led of the Holy Spirit, that the music, the worship, the preaching will come together in such a way that our church will be the kind of church that you hate to miss because it's so encouraging. I know it's not always that way, but we can be, be that way. Maybe you're grumbling because, yeah, I don't want to go to church. They should have canceled the 11 o'clock service. You're not growing. Maybe you're not worshiping. Maybe you're not praying. And maybe you're not even close to being willing to be sent. Maybe you're not serving in the church, identifying your skill set enough that the church could look at you and say, let's send these people. Would you talk to the Lord right now for a minute? Father, we need your grace and we want to be a humble and Christ-centered Spirit-sensitive congregation, I thank you so much for fellowship and what you've done here and what you've been doing, what you are doing. But Lord, we, we want to be prepared for you to do more. Bless our Honduran team. May you even use this as a step in the right direction towards sending people to the harvest fields. Help us to encourage the McKenzie's this year, Lord, in a great way. Help us to motivate and provoke one another unto good works as we interact here together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.